Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Today I want to talk about the issue of confidentiality. I want to talk about what it is, what it isn't, some challenges that you face in maintaining confidentiality, and then I want to share the power of being entrusted with information. So let's talk about confidentiality. First of all, confidentiality means to hold in confidence. That does not mean to hold in secret. Now, this is one of the most commonly misunderstood aspects of the word confidentiality or of the concept of confidentiality. Many people think that to hold confidential information means that you hold secret information, and those are not the same. For example, uh, when someone comes up to me and says, I need to talk with you about something, but you can't tell anyone, I stop them immediately and say, no, stop, please. I can't make you that promise. You're asking me to make a promise of secrecy with this information, and I can't make that promise. Now, if you're asking me to hold the information confidentially, I can do that. Holding something in confidence means that you tell me something and that you have the confidence in me that I will use the information appropriately. Now, think about this distinction. Secret means you can't tell anyone ever. Confidential means the person telling you the information has confidence in you that you will handle that information appropriately. Now, in some cases, you may keep it secret, but you are not obligated to keep it secret. Confidentiality does not equal secrecy. Let me remind you that you are legally compelled to share some information. If someone uh, walks in your office and or catches you at church and says, uh, tells you something about child abuse, you are legally mandated to report that. You don't have any choice. Uh, and if you don't report it and it's later discovered that you knew about it, you are criminally uh, liable for prosecution on that issue. You say, well, but I'm a, a minister. I, I, I don't have to tell people. Yes, you do. There is certain kind of information, like child abuse, for example, that you cannot maintain secrecy, and your confidentiality is that they have confidence in you in disclosing this to you, that you will do the right thing with the information, and the right thing is you are legally obligated to be or to to do what's called man, you're what's called a being a mandatory reporter. You you have to tell that information. So, again, confidentiality does not equal secrecy. Confidentiality means the person telling you the information has confidence in you to handle it appropriately, and you are legally compelled to share some information. So you obviously can't keep that a secret, and you're not breaking confidence to share that information because again, confidentiality is not secrecy. It's having the confidence in you that you'll handle the information appropriately. You're also ethically mandated to share some information. For example, if a man comes to me and says, um, I'm having an affair with, with another woman, well, I'm not legally mandated to report that to the authorities, but I am ethically responsible with what, with, for, for handling that information appropriately. So when a man says to me, I'm having an affair 
uh, I'm involved sexually with another woman besides my wife, my response is, I'm glad you've told me this. I, I know you want to do something about it because you're telling me this information. And so here's what's going to happen next. One of three choices. Either you're going to tell your wife, or you and I together can go and tell your wife, or uh, you're, I'm going to tell your wife. But she's going to know this information. I cannot hold on to this information. Uh, when I've done this in the past, uh, the first choice is the choice that fellows always make. They're actually telling me in kind of a practice uh, way uh, what they know they need to tell their wife, and, and so I'm willing to talk through it. I'm willing to help them. I'm willing to give them a day or two. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to work toward that goal, but when someone tells me something like that, I'm ethically mandated to, get, make, to share that information. I can't keep that confidential or secret, either one. So, let's review. Confidentiality means to hold in confidence. It's not the same as secrecy. Confidentiality means that someone tells you something and has the confidence in you that you will handle the information appropriately. And some information that people tell you, you are legally mandated uh, to share, like, for example, a child abuse situation. Uh, other information that comes to you, you are ethically responsible to share. Like someone comes to you and says that they're involved in something like an affair. You know that needs to be shared. It has to be shared. The issue must be confronted. And so some, by some means, uh, you're going to share that information or make sure that it gets shared with the proper person. Now, again, this, this, uh, going back to this foundational understanding, confidentiality means that a person talking to you has the confidence in you that you're going to handle the information appropriately. Now, that does mean sometimes that information shared with you in confidence also becomes information that you keep secret. There is a such thing as secret information, which means you tell no one. No one. Let me clarify. When someone tells you something that you deem to be secret information, it means that you don't tell anyone, not your spouse, not your coworker, not your prayer partner, not even your diary. You don't tell anyone. That's secret information. Now you say, well, what, what kind of secret information are you talking about? Well, let's say, for example, that a woman comes to you in a counseling session and says, um, I've been burdened all my life with something that has plagued me. It's impacted my mental health, it's impacted my physical health, it's impacted my relationships. Um, I had an abortion when I was 16 years old. Or my father, who's now deceased, uh, abused me when I was a child. Some information that comes to you like this, there's no one to tell. You're not legally mandated to report what a dead person has done. You are not in any way responsible to reveal that a person has had an abortion. This person has told you something in confidence, meaning they're trusting you to handle the information appropriately. 
And that means in these kinds of cases that you keep it a secret, that you don't tell anyone. You don't tell your spouse. You don't tell your prayer partners. You don't tell your coworkers. You don't tell your diary. No one ever could possibly know this information because it only exists in one place, and that's in your mind. Now, I want to particularly address the issue of spouses. For some reason, some ministry leaders think that they are responsible to tell their spouse everything. And in fact, there are many people in ministry who are members of churches or in ministry organizations that expect that if they tell um, someone like a husband or a pastor or a ministry leader something, that they'll automatically tell their spouse. And I know this is true because there's been times when Ann has come to me and said, uh, you know, person X came up to me today and started talking about something, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And I say, really? That's interesting. I've never told you about that because that's not something that you've had anything to do with or not you would ever need to know, and that's something that I thought they told me in confidence that needed to remain secret. And so Anne was not offended, but she's like, wow, okay, once again, people think everything you know that you tell me, and that's not the way our relationship works, and it's not the way healthy ministry uh, partnership relationships need to work. Now, there's a whole list of reasons why I don't tell my wife the secrets I know about other people. Number one, they didn't tell me to tell my wife. Number two, there's nothing my wife can do about the situation or no need for her to know about the situation. Number three, if I tell my wife and I'm not explicit with her about the secrecy of the information, uh, she's liable to tell someone else about it or to mention it to someone else. Or, And this has also happened to me uh, where I've mentioned something to Anne and Anne didn't know it was a secret or even confidential and she's mentioned it back to the person who told it to me. And then I am in serious trouble because I've violated confidence. Now, frankly, I haven't done that in 30 years, but I did make that mistake some early in, our, in, our, in my ministry. So... Confidential, confidential information is information that a person tells you to hold in confidence, meaning they're trusting you, they're having the confidence in you that you will do what's appropriate or right with that information. And some confidential information you're legally uh, required to share, some you're ethically responsible to share, and some confidential information can become secret information meaning that you never tell anyone what you know. Now, there's two challenges with maintaining confidential information and turning it into secret information. I've faced both of these over the years, as has almost every ministry leader that I know. First, the first challenge is you will be misunderstood and people will draw wrong conclusions about your actions. For example, I once was counseling with an engaged couple, and in the context of the counseling, I discovered that the man was physically abusing his fiance. And when I discovered this, I scheduled a subsequent counseling session for each of them individually, and I talked with him first, and I discovered that, yes, he had physically uh, slapped and assaulted and pinched and otherwise physically uh, abused his fiancée during the time of their engagement. And then I met with the girl individually, and I discovered that these things were all true and that she was 
hiding them from her family and, and denying them in some sense because she wanted the marriage to continue, and she was convinced that once they got married, uh, these behaviors would improve, that she would be able to change her husband and all of that. Well, after meeting with both of them individually and confirming the situation as I uh, assumed it was uh, going to, and, and making some assumptions about how I, assume, how I assumed this relationship would unfold if they did get married, uh, I met with them as a couple and told them that I could not do their wedding. And I advised them that while they could possibly still get married, that they needed to get some serious uh, marriage counseling uh, and relationship counseling uh, that would take place over the next 12 months. And when a counselor was able to tell me, and I was able to independently corroborate with both of them, that the abuse had not taken place for a full year, then I would reconsider my decision and do their wedding. Well, uh, the girl was relieved at first and expressed gratitude to me and thanks that I was willing to stand up for her. And the guy was a little less positive but understood my position, and they agreed that they would seek this kind of counseling and that they would be back to see me when they started making healthy progress. A few days later, chaos broke out in our church because they told their parents, both sets of parents, members of our church, they told their parents, Pastor Jeff won't do the wedding because he doesn't like my fian the, the male. He doesn't like my fiance, the girl was saying. Pastor Jeff won't do the wedding because he doesn't like my fiance. And people started calling me and coming to my office and asking me what was wrong with me and why I was making a personal issue out of not doing a wedding and why I was willing to say that I wouldn't do a wedding for two families in our church and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I could not disclose the real reason. I had learned in confidence that this abuse was going on. It was a private matter that needed to be remained secret. There was no benefit that could come except me personally defending myself, which is not an appropriate reason to break a secrecy or a confidence. And so I had to take it, and it was not pleasant. That's one example. Here's another one. A man came to me, a church member, a number of years ago and said, uh, I have a problem. It's been going on for years. I'm trying to address it. I'd like your help. I said, what is the problem? He said, I'm a gambling addict, and I'm good at gambling, and I make a lot of money gambling. Well, he lived an affluent lifestyle, and most of us thought he had a great job. Well, he didn't have a great job. He had a good job, but he was great at gambling, and he made a lot of money gambling. He wanted to stop, though. He felt it was a destructive lifestyle. It was beginning to negatively impact his marriage. He felt he was setting a bad example for his children. He wanted them to not see that this aspect of his life. And so he tells me, I have a gambling addiction, and, uh, and I, I need help with this. Well, as a, as a church member uh, with some affluence and some prominence, uh, every year it was suggested that he be put on the finance team or the finance committee. And every year, as pastor, I vetoed that suggestion. And at first, especially the first couple of years, I got a lot of negative remarks about why don't you want this man on our finance team? He's financially astute. He makes a lot of money. He's, uh, you know, 
can be a generous giver to our church. If he understood more about what we're doing, he might even give more. Uh, his wife and family are, are part of our church as well. What's wrong with you, Pastor? Why don't you want this guy to be more involved in our church? And I would consistently say, I want him to be more involved. I just think there's a more appropriate places we can find him. Listen, I wasn't letting this guy anywhere close to our church finances and certainly not having any decision-making authority or any access to anything related to our funds. And I made that decision based on what I knew about his gambling addiction and the risk that would put us uh, as a church if he had access to our funds. Now, did he ever steal anything from anyone? I, I didn't know that. Did he ever steal anything from our church? No, he did not. But as a, as a pastor responsible for the financial oversight of our organization at that time of church, I couldn't let anyone knowingly uh, be involved in that decision-making structure that had this kind of addiction. And so I had confidential, even secret information that I could not disclose. I had to make decisions based on that information, and I got second-guessed, criticized, ridiculed, uh, pressured to make a different decision, which I was always unwilling to do. Now, these are two examples from my ministry days in pastoral leadership where I have maintained confidentiality, in fact, maintained secrecy about something that someone told me, and because of the decisions I made based on what I learned, I was misunderstood and faced some significant blowback. Second, a second challenge is you will be outright lied about when you maintain confidentiality and secrecy, especially about personnel issues. Now, personnel issues are always difficult in ministry organizations, but the law makes it even more challenging because the laws in California and most states are all tilted toward protecting the rights of the employee. So, for example, when an employee is terminated, uh, you as an employer cannot release the reasons for that termination. Uh, not typically. If it's a ministry situation that involves a violation of doctrinal standards or ethical standards, you can, but in most cases, you can't really disclose much about what you know about an employee's personnel file. The employee, on the other hand, can go out and say anything they want to, and really with no fear of reprisal or any retribution. Uh, I have faced this multiple times in my ministry leadership days. One time I had an employee uh, before I came to the seminary while I worked in the Northwest that uh, was involved in adultery. I learned about it. I called him into my office and I said, it's been alleged that you are involved in an adulterous relationship. And he said, no, that's not true. And then I presented a piece of evidence to him uh, toward that effect. And he confessed and said, yes, um, I, I am involved in that relationship. Now, remember the sequencing here. I learned about it. I called him into my office. I confronted him. He denied it. I showed more evidence. He finally affirmed it. The next morning I come to work and I discover that he went home and told his wife, I went in today and confessed adultery to Jeff Orge and he fired me. Well, that is not exactly what happened. So the next day, a barrage of email hits my inbox responding to email his wife sent out making this claim that I just, just shared. It wasn't true, but there was nothing I could do about it. I simply could say, I made a decision that this person could no longer be employed here based on information I have about his moral choices, period. Case closed. Nothing else could be said. And I weathered a storm that actually turned into a legal storm for a while before it was finally resolved uh, in our favor, I might add. 
when the truth did finally come out from him and from the situation that he had to admit. And so my point is that when you hold on to confidential information, even secret information, and you make decisions based on that, you'll be misunderstood. People will draw wrong conclusions, and sometimes they'll outright lie about it, and there will be very little you can do because your responsibility as a ministry leader with confidential and sometimes secret information is significant. Now, let me close by giving you five ways that you gain influence with people and five ways that you can understand the power of being entrusted with information by people. Number one, when people share confidential or secret information with you, you share a deeper bond with them. I once had a man that I greatly respected, tremendous leader, tremendous Christian, tremendous father, tremendous husband, tremendous grandfather. And in the context of my ministry with him, uh, his father died. And in a very significant moment, he revealed to me a depth of emotion and some issues about his relationship with his father and their and his family of origin that I never knew. That brief encounter in the context of the death of his father when he was emotionally vulnerable and revealed himself to me with a rawness that I had never seen before gave me entree into his life like perhaps no other person had ever been granted. I have never told anyone about that encounter, not even my wife, because I felt like it was such a holy moment when I'd been invited into someone's soul that I would never besmirch that privilege by sharing that information. When people trust you with confidential or even secret information, it creates a deep bond that you have with them that lasts into the future because after that day, every time this man and I saw each other, we knew. We knew. I knew that he had trusted me with something that was profoundly important in his life, and he knew he had trusted me with it, and that gave us a deeper bond than we'd ever had before. Number two, a second positive that comes from handling this kind of information appropriately is you, in, you earn the respect and support of your followers. Now, one of the things that happens here at the seminary is that uh, people sometimes complain about us or criticize us, and that's just part of the life of being in a seminary world these days. But I have, on occasion, defended faculty members from unfair accusation or from untrue statements and worked behind the scenes to preserve their careers and to help them to address issues that have been raised about them. We don't make a lot of uh, public uh, fanfare about these moments, but I work hard on them when they do happen. And over the years, the faculty that I've helped in this regard have come to have a deeper and more profound appreciation for me because they know that I know and they know how much I stood up for them in a private way and helped them through a difficulty that had come their way. When you do that kind of thing, your followers respect you and support you more than, when, uh, than before they share that kind of information with you. Here's the third way that confidential and secret information handled appropriately can be of benefit to you. Third, you can use this information to make better ministry decisions. Now, what do I mean? 
I mean that the information that comes to you in these kinds of contexts can guide your preaching. Now, I don't mean that you get up on Sunday and say, this week I had a counseling appointment, and here's what I learned about this and that and the other, and I want to preach about it today. No, you don't do anything like that. What I mean is that as people are sharing information with you and you hear patterns, you hear concerns, you hear common issues, when you hear these things, you know that you need to address them in your preaching ministry, and in appropriate ways, you can do so. Uh, you know, For example, I, I was in a church that... Uh, had a number of families that told me about situations where they had adult children who'd walked away from the Lord and from their upbringing. And I realized I need to preach about this. I need to bring this into my messages. I need to talk about this and use it as illustration material. I don't mean the information from individual situations. I mean using the trend line that was developing through my learning these facts to guide my preaching as I developed it. It's also a good way to Decide what kind of conference subjects you need to feature or what kind of seminars you need to plan or what kind of programming decisions you need to make. Confidential information shared with you that you hold secretly, uh, in some cases, uh, guides you in making ministry decisions so that what you preach about and the conferences you organize and the seminars you plan and the programs you execute, these kinds of things are reflected in what people have said to you. And it's uncanny that when you do this, people will say, man, that church is so on top of meeting the needs of the people in our community or meeting the needs of what, they're, what we're facing in our area. When you do these things, it just, it just uh, makes your ministry so much more streamlined and so much more pointed at dealing with the real issues people are struggling with. Now, let me, go, let me remind you, and let me say it again. This is not a one-to-one -one correlation. You don't hear something in a counseling session on Tuesday and preach on it on Sunday. You don't hear something in a conversation on Thursday and plan a seminar for it the next Friday. What I'm talking about here are trend lines. As you're hearing people in your church expressing things to you and you're picking up common themes of struggle, common themes of hurt, common themes of issues that people have had to grapple with, that's what informs your ministry decisions, not so much an individual incident that you then publicize as you talk about making decisions. Another uh, benefit of handling confidential information or even secret information appropriately is that you gain access and influence with people, particularly uh, people of influence or people who are leaders. You know, for 10 years, I was the chaplain of the San Francisco Giants. And for 10 years, I was a black hole. <laughs> Players told me all kinds of things about their families, about their health, about their careers, about their uh, about their marriages, about their children. They told me all kinds of things. And all of that information came to me and stayed in me. I didn't tell my wife, and I certainly didn't tell anyone affiliated with the Giants. You know, when a player tells you that they're hurting or that they're injured or that there's something wrong, they're struggling with alcohol, they've gotten involved with drugs, when they tell you these things, it's a real challenge to keep that confidential or secret because you know that their employer, in this case, doesn't know these things. I didn't work for the Giants. I worked for Baseball Chapel, and I worked for the players. And so when they told me these things, they knew I was a safe harbor they could talk to, park information, unburden themselves, and they knew that it wasn't going out anywhere from there. It wasn't going on Twitter. wasn't going on Facebook. wasn't going out in the gossip column. wasn't going to be told to my wife wasn't going to certainly be shared with the Giants because I was the safe place. And over 10 years, I developed a reputation 
And in baseball, there's a phrase, they say you're a good guy. If you're a good guy, that means the, 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 the people have, have embraced you. They've accepted you. You're, you're sort of part of the inside circle, if you will. And I got a reputation for being a good guy. And the reason I got that reputation is because people could tell me things and no one else ever heard about it. And the players knew that. And um, when you do that, not just with baseball players, but with any people that have any kind of prominence or visibility or any kind of risk at all in their lives of people finding out things about them and it's somehow harming them or diminishing them or, or even uh, hurting their career, uh, that kind of information when they can share it with you and know that it's not going anywhere, it gives you great influence in their lives. And I did face some situations with the Giants that were pretty troubling. Uh, I watched them give a multi-million dollar contract to a person once who I knew had a dysfunction in his life that was going to undermine and actually uh, ruin his career, and it did. I had another situation where I had a player that was, uh, that was just uh, bordering, I thought, on some mental instability, but, uh, but really... Uh, the Giants just kept depending on him, kept depending on him, kept depending on him. And I was trying to keep him held together behind the scenes while they were draining everything out of him they could uh, in front of, uh, on the public stage. These are hard situations. It's hard to keep quiet and hold on to information and not share it inappropriately. But when you do, you gain great influence because the two players I'm just describing, uh, I had influence in one of their lives and I had influence in their spouse's life in a different situation because they knew they could trust me with that kind of information. And then finally, uh, one last benefit of confidential or secret information is it changes your perception and makes you slower to criticize other leaders. You know, I sometimes see it, pastors and other seminary leaders and people like that making decisions, and I wonder, what in the world are they thinking? And then I remember, ah, that is the right question. What in the world are they thinking? They're thinking about information they have that I don't have. This is one of the most important things I've learned about how to evaluate other people's decision-making. I ask myself the question, what do they know that I don't know? So when a controversy erupts in a church or another seminary and I see a board of trustees deciding this or a board of elders deciding this or I see a pastor doing something and deciding this or a president doing something and deciding this and I look at it and I think, wow, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me or man, I don't know if I agree with that or boy, that ought to, they ought to rethink that one. Before I say anything publicly, I remember, wait a second, they know things I don't know. They have information I don't have. And just as when I make information, or make decisions based on information that only I know, I don't want to be criticized by them. I want to extend the same courtesy back toward them. So confidential information, it's information that you hold in confidence, meaning the person who told it to you believes you'll handle it appropriately. Sometimes that means you have to share that information. You're legally mandated to report certain things. Other times you're ethically responsible to share the information, but sometimes, sometimes, Confidential information can become secret information, which means you don't tell your spouse, your coworkers, your prayer partners, not even your diary. No one ever will learn that information from you from any source or means. When you make that kind of decision, you will be misunderstood. People will draw wrong conclusions. You may even be outright lied about, but you have to bear up under that pressure because Holding to confidential and sometimes secret information is part of the trust people have in you as a ministry leader. And when you do this well, you will share a deeper bond with people, earn the respect and support of your followers, 
have information at hand that you can make better ministry decisions. You'll gain access or influence, particularly with prominent people or people of influence who don't have that many uh, folks they could trust with information they might want to share. And you will be slower to criticize other leaders because you you will remember they know things you don't, just like you know things they don't. And we'll give each other a little more latitude and a little more grace on this kind of process. So confidentiality, it's it's an important part of your leadership responsibility as you lead on.